Larry Walters was a 33-year-old truck driver living in California. On a warm July morning in 1982, he visited his local army supply store and he bought 42 huge weather balloons. And with the help of friends, he filled those balloons with helium and he attached them to a lawn chair, like a deck chair. And he grabbed a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, a six-pack of beer, and a pellet gun to pop those balloons when he was ready to land. And he took his feet, cut the ropes that were holding him to the earth, and he soared straight up into the sky. He thought that those balloons would take him maybe 30 metres up in the air. Instead, they catapulted him nearly five kilometres into the air, right into the middle of an air traffic pattern in Los Angeles airport. Two airline pilots were recorded as being sent and saying there's a guy floating in the air on a long chair. But then he was too frightened to shoot out any of those balloons. So he stayed airborne for two hours, forcing that airport to shut down for for the afternoon. And then when he finally descended, his balloons caught in a power line, causing a 20-minute power cut in the area. And then he eventually managed to climb down onto the ground where he was promptly arrested. But when he was asked by reporters later about why he'd done this, he replied, you can't just sit there. You've got to do something. And you cannot understand what that's about. Yeah, that's true. You can't just sit there. We've got to do something with our lives. But surely that doesn't mean that just anything will do. That doesn't mean that we should just follow every idea that pops into our heads. Or we might find ourselves in the same mess as Larry up in the air. So what should we do with our lives? Well, we've been looking at the story of of Noah in the Bible, in the book of Genesis. And when Noah and his family finally stepped out of the ark after the flood... They entered into a brand new world. But God didn't just want them to sit there and just observe it. But neither did he want them just to go out and just make it up as they went along. Just do something. Instead, God had a plan and a purpose for them. For their lives. And I think we can learn something about the plan and purpose that God has for our lives as you look at this this morning. So we're going to go into Genesis chapter 9. If you have a Bible, you can can turn it up and and, and read down with me. If not, just listen if you want. Uh, Genesis chapter 9, verse 1 down to verse 17. So this is just right after the end of the flood and Noah and his family have just exited the ark. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground and upon all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. 
But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. And from each man too. I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. And God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. Throughout the early chapters of Genesis, we've seen that God loves to bless On day five of the creation week, God blessed the sea creatures and the birds. On day six, he blessed human beings, men and and women. On day seven, he blessed the seventh day and made it holy. So here again, God is the God who blesses. God blessed Noah and his sons. God put his divine favour on them. He showered upon them his goodness. He filled their lives with his wonderful gifts. And God is still the God who loves to bless. We've been called to receive God's blessing in our lives. John wrote about Jesus at the beginning of the gospel and he said this, From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. We've all received one blessing after another. God has showered blessing after blessing after blessing on our lives. And as this verse emphasizes, this blessing is not something that we've earned, or we've deserved, or we've worked for. Rather, this blessing comes from the fullness of his grace. It comes as a gift of God's amazing grace to us. His outrageous, his generous, his undeserved favour. God blesses us, not because we've earned it, not because we've deserved it, but because of who he is. That was true of Noah and his sons. 
Yes, they'd worked really hard over the last few years. Building this boat. Serving God and doing that. Serving God and looking after all those animals. But this renewed blessing was not something that Noah and his sons had earned or deserved or worked for. As we'll see next week, Noah and his sons were far from perfect as a family. But Noah and his sons, all they had to do here to receive that blessing was to accept it as a gift. And that is the same for each one of us. This is one of my favourite verses in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. It is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And it's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. If we've trusted in Jesus and his sacrificial death on the cross, as I've just remembered in our communion time, then the Bible says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We are fantastically blessed people this morning if we have trusted in Jesus. With every spiritual blessing in Christ. We've been completely forgiven. Declared righteous in God's sight. Released from guilt, adopted into God's family, sealed with His Holy Spirit living within us. And all of those blessings come to us as a free gift of God's grace. Paid for, not by us, not earned by us, not deserved by us, but paid for by Jesus on the cross. Paid in full. So God doesn't bless us because we've done something. But God does bless us so that we can go and do something. Because God had a very clear purpose for Noah and his family. Verse 1. Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Now if you've been with us through this Genesis series then I hope that will ring familiar for you. Because we've read something very similar to it before in the book of Genesis. Right back in day six of creation week, when God made human beings, he blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So God is repeating that call, that plan and a purpose. So for Noah and for his family... They were now living in a renewed world. And so it was as if God was bringing them back to the beginning again. Back to his original purpose for human beings. To be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. So he wanted them to increase in number and fill the earth. There's an obvious reason for that, isn't there? Because the earth is huge. There was only eight people on the world, in the world at that time. Loads of space. So God wanted them to have a family and to fill that world that he had provided for them. And God still wants his community of his people to grow. He still wants more people in his kingdom. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is your commission. Go and make disciples 
of all nations. This is the purpose, the key purpose in our lives. God wants us to be active in sharing our faith. To introduce people to Jesus, to a personal relationship with Jesus. And encouraging them to put their faith in Him and live for Him. God is looking for more kids. He wants His family to expand. And that's God's heart. Because he wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That means that if you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking, is this for me or not? Well, God says, absolutely. He wants you in his family. He loves you. And he desperately wants you to belong to his family. Also means that every single person that we meet in our lives, in our workplace, in our families, in our communities... Even those people that do the most horrendous things that we might see in the news. God loves them. And he wants them to come to a knowledge of him. And he wants them to be forgiven and brought into his family. So God wants his kingdom to expand. But that little phrase, to be fruitful, in verse 1, isn't just talking about having kids. It's not just about having kids. Yes, the word here has the idea of procreation, but it also has the idea of production. We have been designed and created and called to be productive in our work. In chapter 2 of Genesis, we saw this being reinforced with Adam when he was placed in the Garden of Eden. And he was placed there to work it and to take care of it. Paradise isn't defined by God as having nothing to do and sitting back and doing nothing. In that paradise, man was given the privilege of service. Of meaningful and satisfying work. Contributing to God's world. And to the common good. But we saw a while back in Genesis chapter 3 that sin just messed that up. It turned privileged service into painful toil. Work would become difficult and exhausting and frustrating. But under God's blessing, work could again become fruitful. By God's grace, Noah and his family were called to work again in a way that was meaningful, that was productive, that was rewarding. Eternally rewarding. And this is our calling too. Jesus said these amazing words, John chapter 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, And I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If a man remains in me and I in him, if we enter into that personal relationship with Jesus, through the the indwelling presence of Christ, we can be fruitful in our lives. 
And that means in every aspect of our lives, we can be fruitful. With Jesus' power in us, we've been uniquely equipped and empowered to serve him effectively. Not only in church time, not only when we're together on a Sunday morning or through the week, but to, be, to, to serve him effectively on Monday morning when we go to work. Or when we go home to our families, when we roll up our sleeves and do the housework. Or in our communities. Or in our society. Or in our world. God wants that work to be fruitful. And he's empowered us so that we can be fruitful. And our work can be meaningful for him. And as we do this, we can depend on God's provision. Initially, mankind had been vegetarian. don't know if that thrills you or terrifies you. Because some people love their vegetables and their fruit and some people hate them. But God had said to them, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. But the entrance of sin into this world had made that dependence on food difficult and challenging. If you remember, God said that the land will produce thorns and thistles for you. No longer will gardening and farming be something that's easy and thrilling. Instead, it will be hard work and difficult. But now, things were going to be different for Noah and his family. God said to them in verse 3, Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you green plants, I now give you everything. But just in case you're wondering, that doesn't give you an excuse not to eat your broccoli. Okay? Broccoli is still good for you. Sorry, girls. But it does mean that Noah and his descendants can now eat meat. They were now allowed to eat meat for other food. Now the passage doesn't go into detail about why that change was necessary. I guess it would be maybe that because the post-world, the post-flood world made a vegetarian lifestyle more difficult. I don't know. But it does explain why the relationship between human beings and animals was now going to change. Verse 2, it says, The fear and the dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth. Noah and his family would be feared now by the animals. Because they would, be, they would recognize that their lives would be in danger from the human beings. Now, this command was not given to encourage a kind of abusive attitude to animals. It doesn't mean that we can just go and treat them terribly because they're just meat. Human beings are still called to respect the life of the animal. God told Noah and his family to do this by not eating meat that had blood still in it. That's in verse 4. Blood symbolized the life of the animal and it belonged to God, not to man. The giver of, so, it was, so it was for the giver of life and not for the, the, the people who needed that meat to eat. So that was for Noah and his family. But whatever else was going on here, what God is clearly doing is he's making sure that Noah and his family are provided for in this new world. 
He's thinking about what Noah and his family need to survive, to thrive in this new world. And he's making sure that they have the food that they need. God is looking after his people. And God continues to encourage us who have trusted in Jesus to depend on his provision in our lives. Do you remember the Lord's Prayer? That our Father, where Jesus taught his disciples to daily ask God for our everyday needs to be met. Give us today our daily bread. God wants us to have that kind of daily dependence on, on, on him. And he also assured us that we don't need to worry about our practical needs because your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. We can just rest in God, the fact that He knows what we need, so we don't need to worry about it. But we can cultivate that attitude of dependence for more than just our practical and material needs. The Apostle Paul wrote this amazing verse in Philippians chapter 4. My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. My God will meet all your needs. So whatever needs we have, whatever issues we face, we can know that God's plan, his purpose, his desire is to meet all of our needs. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that we will get everything that we want. He knows what we need better than than we do. But God's care for his people is passionate. God's resources in Christ are unlimited. So we don't need to worry about anything. We don't need to live as if everything depended on us. On what we could get. On what we could earn. On what we can supply. You know that way that you kind of think, well, all is, it's all down to me. It's all on my shoulders to, to provide for my family. God doesn't want us to carry that weight on our shoulders. He said he wants us to give it to him daily. Asking God for what we need each day. Depending on what he provides. Knowing that he'll give us everything that we need. What an amazing way to live. To live worry-free in this world. And that's because we're precious in God's sight. God reminded Noah of this truth when he continued, and for your lifeblood I will surely demand an accounting. The blood of animals wasn't supposed to be eaten to show respect for animal life. The blood of human beings wasn't supposed to be spilled to show respect for human life. And if another person killed a human being, then they should be killed. They should be executed. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For an image of God has God made man. That was the law of Moses for the people of Israel. I think maybe it's really important for God to tell that to Noah here. Because in the flood, thousands of people had died. But God didn't want Noah to think, well, that's because life is cheap. Because human life is cheap. That taking a life is just a trivial matter. That's not the case at all. Human beings are precious. They're valuable. Because they're made in the image of God. 
They have been uniquely made to resemble God. To reflect God's character. To represent God on this earth. And so for this reason, human life is sacred to God. And those who desecrate it have kind of lost their light, the right to life itself. That was emphasized in the law given to Moses. It said this, If anyone takes the life of a human being, he must be put to death. So that was in the nation of Israel. God gave them that law to show the absolute value of every human being. But I don't think that necessarily means that we should be supporters of the death penalty today. Okay? It's a big topic and we don't have time to go into it in detail. If you want to talk to me about it, then we can. But the Bible also says that mercy triumphs over judgment. And in the Bible, God himself showed mercy even to those who were guilty of murder. People like Moses himself or David or the Apostle Paul. But whatever we think about the punishment that, is, that should be given to those who commit murder, we certainly need to be aware of the seriousness of the crime. All human life is sacred in God's sight. All of it. All human life is sacred, no matter how small that human being is. No matter what the circumstances of their conception is. No matter whatever illness or limitation they are experiencing. No matter how inconvenient or costly their care. All human beings are precious in God's sight. And as God's people, we need to do all that we can to value the life of every single human being. And that's a very relevant topic today, isn't it? When we're thinking about what the referendum is going to be in next, next year. Or we think about the issues about euthanasia. Or we even think about the issues about how to respond to those who are in need, in poverty. Or those people who are trying to escape horrible situations in other countries that are coming here as immigrants. We need to respect and value each and every one of them. And do what we can to care for them. And God promised to do that for Noah and his descendants. He repeated his covenant promise that never again will all life be cut off by the waters of the flood. Yes, there will be localized flooding. And there will be loss of life through that. But never again will there be a worldwide flood that will wipe out humanity like it was in the time of Noah. And as a sign of that covenant promise, God gave the rainbow. I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures when I see the rainbow. Now that doesn't mean that a rainbow had never appeared in the sky before. We do know something about how a rainbow appears, don't we? It's about the light passing through the, the, the raindrops and, and uh, diffracting the light and it's splitting up into its colours. Remember that from science and secondary school. But it does mean that that rainbow now had a, 
had a special meaning. A new meaning. So whenever God saw it, or whenever anybody else saw it, it would be a reminder that God had promised never again to send a worldwide flood. And of course that promise still stands today, doesn't it? Now I know that the LGBT groups have uh, claimed the rainbow as their sign. But for God, it's still a promise to us. It's still a promise from God to us that no matter how sinful mankind gets, God will not send a flood to destroy the earth. Life on this planet will continue and continue until the day of judgment when God will destroy this world by fire and make a new heaven and a new earth. So we don't need to worry that this world will end in some other way. We know that God will call time in this world. God will choose the day and it will be the day that he's appointed when he will judge the world. But this is not the only promise that we have today as God's people. The Bible is full of God's promises. Somebody tried to read them, count them, and I read that he counted something like seven and a half thousand promises in the Bible from God to his people. You can go home and do that for next week and come back and see if you got it, if you got it right. Amazing promises. Promises of God's salvation. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What an amazing promise that we can hold on to today. Promises of our standing before God. That there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. One of the, the, my favourite verses in the Bible. I say that about a lot of verses, but that is one of the, the favourite verses. Then promises of our security. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Jesus says to us. He's holding on to us and he'll never let go. Promises of God's Holy Spirit within us. That having believed you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit. God living within us. So that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So that we are God's house. And promises of our sure and certain hope of heaven. Because Jesus said, I will come back and take you to be with me. That you also may be where I am. So many promises of God's word in God's word. And the reality is that if we have faith in Christ, if we have accepted Jesus as the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our lives, then these promises are for us. We're not excluded from them. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says that for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Have you put your trust in Jesus today? Are you in Christ today? And God's promises are for you. God's promises are for you. And God is faithful to his promises. For thousands of years, God has kept this promise not to send another worldwide flood. And we can trust that he will keep every single promise that he's made in Scripture. As we were thinking about last week, God is faithful to his promises. 
So folks, yes, don't just sit there. We have to do something with our lives. Not that we, need, we don't need to be like Larry Walters, that guy in the balloon. Just do anything that pops into your head. Instead, we can live a life that's filled with goodness and direction and abundance and security and certainty. Because through faith in Jesus, we can accept God's plan to bless us. We can live out God's purpose for us to build and serve in His kingdom. We can depend on God's provision for all of our needs. We can respect God's protection for our lives as God's image bearers. And lastly, we can trust in God's promises because He is faithful to His people. Don't just sit there. But just don't just do anything. Instead, let us live out the life that God has prepared for us.